Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early-stage startup or still in ideation, then LaunchPan is the course designed for you. All of the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching your growing food, beverage, or small goods business. More details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. Well, this is Steve Clear, and I want to welcome as my guest today, Catherine Harvey. Kate is the co-founder of Bare Bones, a San Diego-based nutrition company offering a full menu of protein-infused products, including ready-to-use bone broth, collagen protein powder, and instant bone broth beverage mixes. After three years as a business reporter at the San Diego Union-Tribune, Kate left journalism and took the leap into the food industry to run Bare Bones along with her husband, Ryan. Bare Bones quickly became one of the top innovators in the bone broth industry by pushing the limits of how to deliver bone broth to consumers with a focus on maximum convenience and top quality. Kate's words to live by are, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Certainly very appropriate for these trying days with COVID-19. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. So I I, uh, I I think, first of all, the uh, I wanted to relate back, and I'm going to say it's probably close to five years ago, when you guys were at Expo West upstairs in the Hilton. And I think that's yeah. the first time that I tasted uh, uh, Bare Bones and became a, a customer from then on in. And um, so talk to me a little bit about that transition from being a reporter over to food. Yeah, I can't I can't take credit credit for the business idea itself. That was my husband Ryan. So, I'll start with Ryan. He was a chef in fine dining here in San Diego, and he's also always been really into nutrition and fitness and found that working in the restaurant industry as a cook wasn't really conducive to staying healthy. Like the <laughs> lifestyle is really unhealthy. Which is kind of ironic because restaurants are such a great vehicle for that sort of farm-to-table philosophy and um, and just spreading that message to consumers. But the, the people who are doing it aren't walking the walk for themselves. So um, he, he realized during that time that he found himself drinking stock from the stovetop in the restaurant during service to sort of sustain himself through service because one of the things that cooks don't do in restaurants is eat. Right. Um, so he was drinking stock and he was like, man, this actually makes me feel pretty good. I wonder, I wonder why consumers don't have access to something like this in the supermarket. And, um, so he left the restaurant industry and went to work for a food delivery service, a local food delivery service that gave him better hours, but also the opportunity, opportunity to launch a bone broth business out of their kitchen. So he was sharing their kitchen and making bone broth and shipping it direct consumer, Ah. um, years ago. And this was before people even knew what bone broth was. And the reason he called it bone broth was because, um, it really is just stock, but what most people are familiar with as stock in the supermarket isn't the quality that he was going for. So he wanted right. to give it a new name. Um, 
so it, it was kind of a right place at the right time thing. So this was, this was his side gig and then he went full time with it and I was still working full time at the union tribune and, um, about a year into his, his, his project with bare bones, bone broth hit the big time. Right. So there was a celebrity chef out in New York that started selling it out a window in the East village and he was selling it for like $9 a cup and it got, <laughs> got all this press coverage and Ryan was one of only two companies making and selling anything called bone broth and shipping it nationwide. Um, so that's kind of how things got going and got traction. And, um, around this time, a literary agent, I promise there's a point to this story. Um, (laughs) there was a literary agent who, who their whole job is to look at trends in food and identify, right what the next book should be, what the next cookbook or next nutrition book should be. And they saw this bone broth trend and they were looking for the right person to write the book so that they could shop it around um, to all of the publishers. And they found us because Ryan's a chef and I'm a writer. They thought we would be the perfect people to do this authoritative bone broth cookbook. Absolutely. Um, So it it kind of escalated really quickly. Um, You know, we started... We wrote a book proposal and I took about a week off of work to do, I think it was like 14 meetings with the major publishing houses um, on the phone. And we got we got an incredible book deal with HarperCollins. And around that time, we outgrew the shared kitchen here in San Diego. Oh, yeah. And right, we had to move because every every other commercial kitchen we could find here was a restaurant kitchen, and we would have been paying for location, which we didn't need. Um, so we ended up having to move to Oregon, which meant I had to quit my job. Um, so the book deal kind of funded that first year of making the leap from being employed to being full time with the company. So it was it was a crazy time. I at the time didn't know what my role with Bare Bones was going to be. It was just kind of a move out of necessity, not like strategic. So um, it's been a wild ride ever since then, and I sort of defaulted to the CEO role, I guess. <laughs> I, I like that defaulted to the CEO, role, <laughs> of course. Um, so let's talk first. Well, two things. One is I want to talk a little bit more about bone broth in, in, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the growth of the company. But so for people who might be listening, essentially what's the difference between bone broth and bone stock or, and, and, you know, why, why is it so good for us basically? Um, so I'll, I'll answer the first question first. Bone broth really is just stock. It's um, stock the way it should be made. But for decades, thanks to the Industrial Revolution and food companies trying to trim costs and maximize margins, um, it wasn't made that way and sold that way in the grocery store for literally decades. Um, most of what you were buying in the store until bone broth came along was um, largely water and sodium and maybe some MSG and natural flavoring and whatnot. Because <laughs> um, it's really expensive and time consuming to make a good stock or bone broth mm-hmm. uh, the proper way. It, it requires simmering high quality bones um, from healthy animals for a good 20, 24 to 48 hours. Um, and in food, time is money on a production line. Right. So. 
most of the large companies weren't willing to invest in that. And and the reason that simmer time is so important is it's the time that it takes to extract the nutrients from those bones because bones are loaded with collagen and protein and vitamins and minerals and amino acids that are so, so good for us. If you look at the nutrients in a high quality bone broth or stock, um, it, it reads like the back of a, of a multivitamin bottle. <laughs> so um, when it's made properly, but again, it wa- wasn't being made properly for so, so long. And that goes back to why we wanted to call our product bone broth versus stock because we wanted to di- differentiate it within within the grocery store. Right, exactly. Um, so the second part is, okay, so you guys, you, you moved to Oregon. Um, how did the business evolve from something that, you know, Ryan was doing basically delivery to wanting to go retail or wanting to go e-commerce? Oh man, that's a, it's kind of a wild ride. So let me back up by saying when we, when he started this and when I came on board, we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, we always knew that we wanted bare bones to be in whole foods, for example, but we didn't really know anything about this industry. Um, about CPG and and so we kind of learned as we went and every everything we learned was out of necessity for the the stage that we were in. Um, so we learned about manufacturing because we had to manufacture and package and ship ourselves. So we figured all of that out ourselves um, from the very beginning. And then we moved up to Oregon and we had to learn about scaling and hiring and and sourcing a larger supply of our ingredients and um, training staff and then scaling the shipping process. So um, around the time we moved up to Oregon, we also got an email from an investor who was paying attention to food trends and saw the bone broth was hot and was interested in learning more about our business model and what we were doing. And, um, Again, we didn't know anything about fundraising. We didn't know anything about <laughs> scaling in CPG. So we just hopped on a phone and we started having some casual conversations. And about a month or two later, we got an offer um, for them to make an investment in our company and help us scale and get into a co-packer so that we could go to retail. Um, and so that first round of investment, um, some of those investors were familiar with CPG and gave us a lot of resources and introductions that were helpful for us figuring out how to scale, which was great because by the time we got really settled into our new kitchen in Oregon, we outgrew it within six months. <laughs> so um, it was just a process of, of moving and outgrowing and having to find the next bigger solution. Right. Yeah. That's the, uh, th- that's the key because it, it, it never – it doesn't really end. I mean, that continues until you have committees that are looking for plant sites instead of, you know, instead of you looking oh for another kitchen. Yeah, but, that's but, the dream. I can't wait till I have a committee. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but great that you at least, you know, some of the people, especially investors, having p- investors who are strategically aligned um, in CPG, I think is very important for company success because it's an, you know, it's a unique industry and it does have some challenges that if you're, uh, you know, if you're a tech investor, for instance, you're just not used to, right? And yeah. it's like we can't. How do we explain this? So, 
you know. But okay, so um, you're in Oregon, and did you get into Whole Foods while you were there? Did you start smaller? How did that work? No, man. Um, it's a long story, but um, we it took us about three years of submitting. Um, it, submitting and presenting to Whole Foods before they took our products. Wow. Um, getting into retail, I think, is one of the toughest nuts to crack as an emerging food brand. Yep. Um, and I wish that I had known and respected that process and the difficulty of it and the need for the connections. Um, I really thought after we closed our investment round that it was just a matter of, of sort of paying the right people and buying our way into the meetings and into distribution. Um, but we, we had a lot of challenges getting into distribution because as you, you well know, um, getting into distribution and getting into retail is sort of a chicken and egg problem. <laughs> you can't get into yep. retail without a distributor. Right. And you can't get into a distributor without a very major retailer taking your product in. And, um, and it's a lot of just, it's just a lot of negotiating and trying to persuade people that they need to stick their necks out for you. Um, so we, we paid a broker. This was one of my biggest mistakes. We hired a broker before we were in any distribution. Um, and we were paying them a retainer every month. And we thought that they, they would go out and get these retailer commitments. But the, the thing we didn't understand was that most of the major retailers are on category review schedules. And yes. those all kind of happen around the same time for in any given category. And we had missed our category reviews for most major retailers. So we were paying this broker to go out to all these little independent stores and try to get turnovers and it wasn't working. Like they would get a store here, a store there that was interested, but we still couldn't open distribution. So we blew a lot. <clears throat> we blew a lot of money. Wished I could have been there to help, but it's <laughs> um, yeah. It's one of the things that is, and if you really think about it from a different, don't think about it as the food business, but think about it as a logistics or supply chain business. Most of your category management reviews and stuff are contra seasonal at best, or even mm -hmm. just after, right? The season closes. So sunscreen, right? Uh, sunscreen is looked at usually in September or October of the year mm -hmm. for the next year because they got all the data. They know, right? You're, 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 mm -hmm. you're end of August. You're done selling sunscreen, and and so that's when it takes place. And by the way, if you miss that, miss that thirty days when everybody's having their category management reviews, the only way you're going to get in is if they like you well enough to cut you in, you know, off cycle, and that's going to cost you a load of money even if they give you yeah, the privilege. Yeah, man. Right. So it's yeah. just, yeah, it's pretty. And they have to really love you. Because yeah, they got to really love you. Because it's a lot of to do a pen. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so Catherine, we should say uh, real quick is, so the, the original line of product is refrigerated, right? Did you it ship? Was. It, it was. It was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ship frozen? Is that how you address that? Yeah, so actually the very, very first product line was frozen. We okay. didn't have the technology um, to give it that that refrigerated shelf life until we had moved over to a co-packer. Right. So it was a frozen product line, and we had to ship it in these insulated boxes with dry ice, which made it super heavy, super inefficient to ship. 
Um, and then we moved to the co-packer and they were, we were able to achieve a refrigerated shelf life of, I think it was 45 days, something like that. And we continued to ship frozen once we got that shelf life. Right. So the clock starts ticking after it is in the store. Right. And, and that, that, that's called slacking out, which is a very difficult program to execute in retail. Um, which we, we found. And so the biggest turning point for us actually was when we decided to make the product line shelf stable. Um, that just changed the game for us in every way. And how did you go about that? So we, it was, it was a combination of, um, well, it was really just informing ourselves, you know, educating ourselves about the tech technology out there. Cause I think when we started this, we, you know, we're not food scientists. Um, we sort of assumed that, that a lot of the crap, uh, other, um, food companies were putting in their stocks yeah. were required to make them shelf stable. So we just assumed that, that being shelf stable meant you had to have crap in it. Um, which is not the case. And, and that's something that I think is the biggest misconception around food, um, these days is that a lot of consumers assume that anything shelf stable has to be loaded with just stuff that's not good for you. And that, that's not true. Oh no. Um, we ha- have a lot of amazing technology like Tetra Pak and Retort and canning that allow us to achieve a shelf stable product without requiring any additives. Um, and so we educated ourselves about that and the, the process that we chose to use because it was really important to us to stay in that that pouch um, right. Consumers love the pouch. It, it's really it stands out on the shelf. It's different, and for a true bone broth, it makes the most sense because a true bone broth is going to gel when it's cold. And so, if you're using some of the broth and putting it in the fridge and taking it back out, you need the flexible pouch to be able to squeeze it out. Right. Um, so we want, wanted to stay in the pouch, and we discovered Retort as the technology that would allow us to do that. Um, and so it, it, it's like low low temperature canning that's basically uh, okay yeah that's a good explanation yeah absolutely right All right so the, you're heating the product to a point of dealing with you know problems bacteria or stuff that's in there but you're not mm-hmm. boiling it away as you might on you know some some stuff that gets canned that way yeah exactly and and because bone broth is a cooked product already, heating it to the temperatures we use for retort isn't destroying any of the nutrients. The right. heat the heat is what gives you the nutrients in the first place. Right, they're there. Um, so that's that's how we figured, figured out um, how to make our product shelf stable. And it was, uh, it was a huge challenge. It, it basically was um, a new product. So we were starting over. We right. basically started our business over when we went shelf stable, but then it really blew the doors off in distribution and in retail. Yes, right. You have to change everything on UPCs and the whole nine yards. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, so in in a sense, especially with shelf stable, so were you were you doing refrigerated product in Whole Foods and other places, uh, or had you not expanded that far yet? Yeah, we. We had the refrigerated, um, slacked out product in some retailers. I think we were in probably about four or 500 doors when we made the change. Um, so we had several UNFI, UNFI warehouses open with it. And, um, 
had to work really closely with them to minimize our exposure in making the change. But it, even with that, we, you know, we were trying to run out inventory in the warehouses as closely as possible so we didn't have to buy inventory back right. um, when we made the switch. And, of course, there was a price change involved, and you're dealing with things like price protection uh, um, with UNFI, which means if you, if you start selling them a product at less than um, – the product they already purchased, yep. then they're going to charge you for the difference yes. on everything they have in stock, which is really expensive. So we, you know, even with that close working with UNFI, it, it cost us a small fortune to make this switch. Um, and it was, it was a huge challenge. It was a challenging time in the business, but it was that or, die essentially right. it, it was it, there was we really didn't have a choice there there are some limitate you know as wonderful as the refrigerated you know sections are it's i think the toughest section because you know in in dry in dry grocery you can do a lot of stuff in mm -hmm. frozen you got a lot of time to do stuff because you're frozen mm -hmm. right but when you're refrigerated the clock is ticking and as soon as you can get from that to something that's a little more shelf stable and extend uh, your shelf life, obviously, that'll you know work. Um, so you do the changeover, shelf stable product, everything's going along. How about this idea of instant, and what's the genesis on that? <laughs> um, so w one of the great um, benefits to being a direct to consumer business is that we have always had a close bead on what our consumers are thinking and wanting. Um, we get really great feedback from the people who purchase from our website or who purchase from Amazon. And so they leave reviews or send us emails letting us know, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? I think this would improve my experience. Um, and one of the pieces of feedback we consistently got from folks, even after we, we switched to shelf stable, um, and switching to shelf stable reduced the, the cost to consumers by about 30%. So it was a big, big change to, to give greater access to these products sure. to consumers. Um, but even after that, we got this consistent feedback that, oh, you know, it's an amazing product, but it's, it's a splurge for me. It's really expensive. So I can only use it once or twice a year for a special occasion. Um, but I really love the health benefits of bone broth. And so we, for the Next year, after switching to shelf stable, we explored ways to make our products less expensive without sacrificing on the quality. And we just couldn't find a way to do that with the liquid products. Um, we There are just certain things that you're not willing to compromise on. And really, the only way you could make our products less expensive is to water them down, in which case... You're, no. yeah. you're just selling people water yeah. and you're just like everybody else. So we weren't really to compromise on that. And we figured, well, what if you take the water out? Because the water is a huge cost in the distribution and shipping of the product. Um, it just makes it more expensive. It takes up all this shelf space, um, takes up all this space, period. So what if you take the water out? Yeah. And, and provide people with something that's even more convenient because then right. they can take this on a plane. They can take it backpacking. <laughs> um, so that was the genesis of it. We just wanted to make something more affordable, more convenient, but not not sort of sacrifice that platinum oh. 
quality yeah. that we had established with the liquid line. And and I'm so glad to hear the chicken is coming out too. Yeah, it yeah. just launched a couple of weeks ago on Amazon and on our website, and it's doing really well so yeah, far. I'm, I'm one of those people who switched. So I switched <laughs> with beef. <laughs> I switched over to instant, and man, I'm excited that, like I say, chicken's coming out. So, um, right. Awesome. So, c- talk, Kate, real quick about, uh, uh, let's talk about, you know, if people are really interested in finding out more and ordering and stuff, you're available, obviously, through the website, Amazon, and where else? Yeah, so we're available on barebonesbroth.com um, and on Amazon. Our liquid products are available at Thrive Market and in Whole Foods. And then our instant products are available in Costco for a couple of regions, Bay Area and Los Angeles area. Excellent. Um, yeah, and then the liquids are also in a bunch of other natural retailers across the country. And, and we, we, we are, again, sort of re- recording this in the midst of COVID-19 still. How's, how's Amazon doing for you at this point? Oh, my gosh. Um, it, it's really – I've never seen anything like it. Our sales have been 7x yep. what they were a month ago or a year ago. Um, and, and crazy enough, it's the instant products that are the most popular. I guess it's not that crazy. No, it, it, yeah. it's the perfect like stockpiling product. <laughs> you know, I, you were, you were mentioning about the change over to instant and I have to say there's the, the large, largest national brand of, um, stocks, broths, whatever out there, um, in like three places on the can, they have these big words that say, do not dilute. And I thought oh. to myself, well, why not? You already have. I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing anything you haven't done. It's like, right. yeah, you know, it's like, what do you mean? Do not dilute. I, I don't. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. <laughs> so, I can I can see it. And yeah. And there's just there's such a huge people who cook. If you cook, you know, you know the difference. And if and if you don't, if you, if you're trying to drink it as a beverage or whatever else, and you for some reason haven't found bare bones broth, you should treat yourself to do it because um, unless you're making your own, it's like really the only only choice so love it thank um, you um kate also you we, we're chatting actually before the show a little bit about uh diets and trends and whatever and uh paleo and keto um you want to talk a little bit about the effect of the diets and stuff not only on the product but also your own involvement with it yeah so um Bone broth really fits into a lot of those lifestyles and diets that are popular right now. And that that wasn't necessarily by design, but, you know, Ryan, my husband and I are very into nutrition and we both eat primarily paleo. Um, And I've dabbled a little bit in keto and intermittent fasting. So bone broth is just a perfect fit for paleo and a ketogenic diet and for intermittent fasting, all of which are really big right now. And then our liquid bone broths are whole 30 approved, um, Uh, which is, you know, the whole 30 is one of the most well-known branded diets out there right now. Um, so having that partnership has been really instrumental in helping us to grow, um, awareness around our brand. And it's been invaluable, but we didn't ever design it for a diet. Um, right. That wasn't ever the intent. It, it's it's just because it is so nutritious and it is so clean that it fits so well into so many things, and also because it's it's a fundamental pantry staple. You cook, you can cook anything with bone broth. So it's 
it's a standalone beverage, but it's also an ingredient that anyone on almost any diet can use. Any diet except a vegetarian or vegan diet. Right, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that there there are there are plant based broths out there. So if you if you want those, you can you can find them. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's great. Um, the the I guess more on the on the they talk about trends and whether they're coming or going. But certainly paleo keto both have and, and whole thirty both have been around far longer than some things I can think of like kale. Um, and don't look to be abating in any way. In fact, it appears as though uh, one of the challenges we have in, in marketing to folks who are, um, you know, either just doing low carb or who are doing paleo or whatever, are uh, the fact that it cuts across so many demographics that we wouldn't normally imagine. So, right, mm-hmm. if we're if we're looking to go after people who are vegan. Uh, you can usually start with some pretty good demographics and you know you're kind of going to hit it. But on the keto side or paleo side, um, you've got guys smoking cigars, driving trucks that are on the diet. So it makes it a little harder for, for like you to market because you can't just say, oh yeah, this is my target audience right here and I know that that's them and I'm not going to move out of that box. Well, you have to move out of the box now, right, to, to attract more people. You nailed the number one challenge we have faced over the years um, is is putting our consumers into a box. We yeah. can't. Um, no. We've never been able to. And it's even harder now. Um, and I'm really, really thankful to say that we're in the process of hiring an internal marketing head of marketing who can sort of help us to segment out the different consumers that we have, right. narrow it down maybe to four or five core consumer groups so that it we can more effectively market them um, because a consumer wants to be seen. They want to feel seen. And right now it's our marketing messaging is too general to make any one of those consumer groups seen and understood. Um, so it really is a challenge, especially for something like bone broth. Yeah. And particularly with you, you have a product that first of all can just be used by itself as a beverage. Um, you know, and it can be used for taste alone. It can be used therapeutically, mm-hmm. but then you go to the opposite end and you have the cooking aspect of it. And that's a whole nother, you know, a whole nother race to run in, in that sense. Um, yeah, in, in, exactly. Yeah. In terms of everything, packaging, um, you know, forms, you know, whatever, whatever you're working on. So that'll be good. So so we, we we have chicken instant coming. Um, is there anything else you can, you know, without getting into proprietary and everything else, anything else coming down the pike that we should be looking for or that you're looking at? Yeah, I, I can't share too much about it, but we, we have a non-bone broth product coming out um, this year. It was supposed to come out by now, but it's been sort of put on a back burner while we deal with the COVID-19 crisis. But right. um, Bare Bones is sort of shifting strategy to focus on collagen and protein and um, convenience. So we're moving a little bit beyond bone broth because we recognize that, you know, vegetarians and vegans can't access some of the nutrients in a bone broth if we're not making something outside of that scope. Um, So we're working on some other exciting stuff that I'll be very excited to um, announce later this year. Excellent. Well, we'll we'll have to have you have to have you back on to, to talk about that and be uh, uh, 
it'd be a, a good second program to to come into. Um, so, and and how is Ryan doing, by the way? And and what is he up to besides product development? So Ryan is our is our marketing guy. He I call him sort of the the brand custodian, and he <laughs> handles all marketing and brand direction and the R and D behind the new products that we're planning to launch. Um, so that's sort of his area of expertise, expertise, and it's what he's really passionate about. And so, uh, you guys were in, in Oregon and then you moved back to California. We did. Once we, once we got on board with a co-packer and got all of our, our shipping and fulfillment outsourced, we moved back to San Diego because most of our investors are here in Southern California and we, um, you know, all of our friends are here in San Diego and it just seems it's a cool place to be a food business. There are <laughs> amazing food businesses based in San Diego from perfect bar to chosen foods to once upon a farm and mama Chia. And oh yeah. Just like amazing, amazing brands to be around. And did you, did you get caught in the expo West, um, uh, Falderall this, uh, this, this last, last month with, uh, we had folks who were, Oh, Luckily, yeah. we found out about it before we were going, but I had folks that were like in Las Vegas and in San Diego, uh, flying through, right? Changing planes and got a text like, <laughs> what? And oh then, my gosh. And then, and then where's my stuff? By the way, where's my pallets of stuff? Uh, uh, what? I, I know. It was, it, it was a disaster for so many, but we were, we were really lucky and that we were not exhibiting this year. We were only okay. attending and walking the floor. So right. we, we hadn't put up any money for Expo other than to book a hotel room. Um, so we were really, really fortunate. But we did happen to go up because um, one of our suppliers was one of the people who got caught in Anaheim. He was already there. Right. Um, yep. And so he emailed us like Monday before Expo was supposed to start. And it was like, hey, do you still want to meet? And so we drove up and we met him at the Hilton. And it was just crazy. It was like a ghost town. Yes, it was to what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, I, I have clients who went actually for investor meetings. So they went early, right? Of course. Yeah. But yeah. The, the good news was, is they closed down Morton's with the investors. So things, oh, things were nice. good. So they were kind of like, well, you know, we were going to do some other stuff, but uh, mission pretty much accomplished at this point. That's you know, fantastic. So we'll see. Silver what, lining. They made the best of it. <laughs> yes. So we'll see what happens with um, Expo East in Philadelphia. I know a lot of people are being offered some real incentives to go there and set up, but I'm I'm not even sure we'll be out of this totally by then. At this, you know, you just don't know. Nah, that's great, man. I know. I know. It's it's hard to look past even a month from now. And I'll tell you, we're not booking travel and we're not making commitments to be physically present for anything for the rest of the year until we know what's going on. Right. So you see what's what's happening. So yeah. um, one of the things, uh, Kate, we do is we always try to put our guests a little bit on the spot and talk to them about, since most of our audience is fellow entrepreneurs like yourself, some smaller, maybe some larger, but um, if you would share some wisdom with us that you want to share with them, maybe one word, one topic, one phrase, how would you give advice in that, in that sense? I think about this a lot. Um, cause it's, it's crazy how quickly you become a veteran, right? And people, people come to you for advice in yep. this industry. Um, the word that 
I constantly share with other entrepreneurs is resilience. Um, because CPG is hard yeah. and it is expensive and it is full of failures. If you're not failing, then you're doing it wrong. Um, and it requires a certain amount of humility and grit to, to get through those failures and, and reach the other side. Um, so I always advise entrepreneurs to just be resilient. Don't take a failure as a permanent it's not a permanent state. Um, you just need to keep bouncing back and, and being optimistic and being humble, um, taking the help when you need it from people who are offering it and, and just working your fingers to the bone when you have to, to make things work. It's, it's a learning process all the way along. It really is. For sure. It and really is. Great. There's no, this, this is one of the challenges that I found that there's no, no book on how to run a CPG company. There's nope. just not one one manual, a how-to. And even some of the people who have been involved in it have written from a position of multi-billion dollar brands or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, well, okay. You know, if I if I was in that position, I probably could do it too. And and even they get it wrong. Um, you know, if it, going back with my agency days working with large CPG, you know, I can, I have some great horror stories of just amazing failures of products that you would think with all of the focus groups, with all of the done R&D, uh, with everything else, you go, how could these guys have missed this? And, um, yeah. and yeah. yet, and yet they do. And, you know, the difference is they can, if you have deep enough pockets, you just uh, step back and go, oh yeah, well, that didn't work. That'll be a good story at a cocktail party, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. down the line with, entrepreneurs and smaller folks that's uh oh there went my 401k you know it's yeah it's a lot higher stakes Absolutely. so much higher so. and to that to that point one of the best books i've read from a cpg founder it's so relatable i i cried my way through it was <laughs> uh do the kind thing um by daniel lebetsky oh sure yeah the, yeah yep. the kind founder it's because he is a founder, like he has a, an enormous company now, but he built it with his hands. Oh yeah, and it's it's just for it for any entrepreneur out there who wants to feel seen and understood, that's a great book to read. So the two books you have to get is Daniel's book, and you also have to get um, your cookbook, right? That's the other one. Is that still available? It is. It's available on Amazon and on our website. It's called Excellent. the Barebones Broth Cookbook. And it and the website, Catherine, is what. Barebonesbroth.com. Okay, that is great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know you're incredibly busy in the middle of this and trying to juggle a lot of things, especially with supply chain management, but that's uh, part of being a growing company. But uh, thanks for spending the time and sharing the stories with us. Thank you for having me, Steve. It was fun. Hey, no problem. And by the way, thanks to everybody out there for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one -on -one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next 
with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.